Welcome to Bloom Together, the podcast where we cultivate education leadership, innovation, and impact, one conversation at a time. Join us as we learn from visionary leaders, share inspiring stories, and uncover strategies that drive meaningful change in K-12 education. All right, greetings and good day, podcast listeners. Welcome back to another episode of Bloom Together. I am in Boise, Idaho, and joining me today is um, Sarah Meskin, our communications director, as well as um, Shelby Doyle, our VP of Public Awareness for the National School Choice Awareness Week. Did I get that right, Shelby? Yes. So (laughs) National School Choice Awareness Foundation, which organizes National School Choice Week, and that's a lot of national and school choice between the two. (laughs) (laughs) It is, and it is officially National School Choice Awareness Week. So we're excited to have this conversation with you. Thanks for joining us. And where are you coming from today? I am in Nashville, Tennessee. All right. And we get the the benefit of using some great technology today. So this is um, our first actual podcast through Zoom today. So um, not that I wouldn't have been more than willing to travel to Tennessee and have this conversation in per- person, but this is certainly more convenient. So let's talk about the week. First of all, this is National School Choice Week. So can you talk about what this week is about and um, why it's so important? Sure. So yeah, National School Choice Week has been celebrated for the last 14 years. And the goal of the week is to make sure that families know about their K-12 education options and that we raise public awareness about how school choice works on not just a national level, but a state level, and get the word out about great leaders and innovators in the education space. Folks like Bloom and others will work with us to plan big flagship events that really drive the conversation in their state about what they want to see happen in education during this week. Awesome. And some, what is some of the work that your organization is doing to help send this message message and share this out with people all across the country? There's a lot. So what we do is, I think of it as mostly twofold. We do a lot of local grassroots events that are really accessible for families to attend. So that could look like a large school fair that just happened in uh, Meridian. And there's 33 of those going on across the country this week. Uh, there's thousands of events happening at local schools. And then we do things that are more driven towards just this national conversation. So we do tons of um, local interviews on TV stations around the country. I think I've done 40 or 50 in the last two weeks. Um, We also publish opinion pieces and we try to also give a platform to other people to talk about what's important to them. So we kind of try to create this momentum that anybody could use to make the case for what they think should happen with education options. We also request proclamations from every single governor across the country. As of today, um, we're over 27, I think so far, governors have proclaimed the week in their state, uh, which also helps raise awareness too. And those are some of the key things we do. What do you see as the major objectives for the organization um, that you're part of? Is this about policy change? Is this about just awareness for parents and making choice? What What do you see as the as the greatest objectives for your organization? I'd say our greatest objections are raising public awareness, and that means giving parents practical information they need to choose schools and find out about what that might look like. But we also definitely want to drive the demand and the conversation to the forefront of the national perspective this week. What do parents want about education? What are they thinking? What are they looking for? Um, we do a survey every January where we try to ask just those questions and talk about that too. 
Uh, we found some really interesting things this year that show that parents are still really looking to make different school choices. I think a lot of us maybe thought if <laughs> we haven't been paying too close of attention that it was so chaotic in the 2021 through 2023 school years that of course everyone's just trying to settle back in. But they, parent, that's not the case. Parents are still looking. Um, and that's why we're still doing this. Yeah, great. I think it's great. I mean, you're really opening up the conversation for parents want more for their children, but what can they have? And so really just letting them know their options at an objective level. I mean, it's really great. Thank you so much. That's one of the reasons the week exists. There's so many folks who do such specific work, you know, whether it's on just public charter schools or just private school choice programs or just open enrollment, you know, all of the above have their people that work really hard in those areas. But it, when we started the week, it's was challenging to get all those people to be part of the same conversation and not see it as quite the zero sum game that it, it used to be perceived as. And so that's another big hope we have is that this can be like a very objective and a very collaborative time um, where it really is about what parents need to hear. Shelby, what's your story? Why are you so passionate around this this effort and what brings you to this um, to this calling? Well, I have, like everybody on our team, kind of my own perspective on school choice. It's based on what happened to me growing up. So I'm one of three siblings, and my mom was a very early adopter of homeschooling back in the 90s when it really became possible to do that um, on a state-by-state level in a way it hadn't been before. And so she started a hybrid homeschooling co-op here in Nashville, Tennessee. That's what my siblings and I attended um, all of us to begin with. But as we got older, we each ended up needing a different path to actually finishing our education. So my sister went to a performing arts magnet school because she was a fantastic dancer and really passionate about that. Uh, that never crossed my mind because I did not have that skill set. And I uh, was the self-professed nerd of the family. So I loved hybrid homeschooling all the way through because you could just plop me down in my room and I would do school for a lot of hours in a row. Um, and then my younger sister ended up doing both online and private school by the time she finished high school. So I saw firsthand that m my sisters and I all were very different and needed different things along the way. So it seems like a no-brainer to me. Um, and I think that's honestly the case for a lot of my generation. We grew up with more school choice, so more of us have personal experience with it. Um, I'm a millennial, I should say. And uh, a lot of us have some level of that experience. And so it doesn't feel like this crazy cutting edge idea that we would have this quote unquote school choice uh, option that just seems like what has always been the case and makes a lot of intuitive sense. Yeah, absolutely. Not to age myself, but when I was growing up, I didn't have so many choices. Obviously, when as you were growing up and when Sarah, Sarah was growing up, you had a lot more choices. What do you see as the current landscape as compared to maybe just a decade ago? A decade ago, um, I think that's an interesting comparison. And particularly is for me because I started working at, uh, on, on the weekend on school choice issues exactly uh, 10 years ago this year. Um, and it's really different. Back then, uh, we had to tell people that they had school choice. And as this was kind of a breaking news concept skill to people in a lot of cases, um, most people still had the the perception that it was you know, maybe if they were in a, an area with a lot of public charter schools, they'd know about that vaguely, but they often weren't sure whether what kind of an entity they were or whether that was really a good option for them. Um, and then the people thought of their own public school or private school. And now when I talk to people, it's much less of like a, are you sure that could possibly exist hypothetically? And much more of a, 
please explain this because people are really interested in it and we want a more practical breakdown of what it actually looks like. Um, that Those are the conversations I have uh, when I talk to especially local journalists. The other funny thing that's changed a lot is uh, when I first started this work and was talking to journalists, people would always, if they found out I was homeschooled, be like, and do you think you were, you are okay? And and was that, you know, as crazy as I think it would be? And now when I say that homeschooling is so much more popular, that <laughs> people usually um, have far fewer questions about whether I was appropriately socialized. <laughs> you seem just fine, in my opinion, properly socialized. <laughs> so you get the benefit of kind of looking at this from a national level, looking at, across to you know, the, the, the entire spectrum of, of our 50 states, what would you say or which states do you th- see as, as really kind of leading the forefront in, in school choice options for families? And what do you see as some of the opportunities for the other states that are maybe lagging in this? I'll give you three examples of states that I think are leading in different ways. Um, and I'm going to cheat because my first example is two, t- two states that are tied. So Florida and Arizona have long been the sort of common answer to this question in terms of who are the leaders. For good reason, they have been pushing to expand all types of choice for a very long time and have just about as much as you can get uh, these days. But there was more even for them to do last year. Last year, both states expanded again policies that they had in place to make them options for families even more robust. Um, They're definitely the veteran leaders on this issue. But another state I think is really interesting is West Virginia. This is a state that had very little in the way of options five years ago and now has passed laws allowing for public charter schools, which are now operating in the state, passed their first private school choice program, has done work to make micro-schooling more legal, has done work to make open enrollment more possible. Uh, Basically, any, any form of choice you can think of, they have really changed the game in the last few years. And that's been really cool to watch. Um, And last but not least, neighboring Montana um, did a lot this last legislative session. They expanded almost every type of choice in one legislative session from open enrollment to passing their first ever public charter school law, which is very exciting. They expanded their private school choice programs. They're making it possible for homeschoolers to take part-time public school classes. The list goes on. Um, And that was really I haven't seen that much happen in one state in one year, maybe ever. And that's all very recent. And they're still yet to open a charter school, as I as I understand it. And I know our executive team here has been with Terry Ryan and and others have been working closely with some of their their state leaders as well over across the border in Montana. And so, uh, yeah, it is impressive of what what they're trying to do over there. And it'll be interesting to see what what another decade looks like, especially in, in states like that, that have so much momentum right now. What about states that are lagging and and not to point any out unless you would like to, but kind of what are some opportunities that you see out there that uh, you would like to see and move forward? Yeah, uh, there's definitely states that have, I would call uh, increasingly glaring gaps I think especially with Montana getting added to the list, they're now the 46th state um, to have public charter school laws on the books in one form or another. If you're one of the remaining four, it's becoming increasingly uh, obvious, let's say it that way, um, that you you don't offer that to families. And I think families care about that. Um, 
I think of a state like uh, Virginia or even North Carolina. They both have some things going on in homeschooling or maybe online schooling, but are really behind the times in terms of offering open enrollment in traditional public schools. This is something we know parents genuinely want when families even when we survey families who are looking for schools, they're looking for public sector schools. The overwhelming majority of them are looking for that. And so it's just uh, on a practical level, uh, in to me, it's unsustainable long term. We know families are going to keep being open to choosing and, and switching between schools. So you want your traditional public schools to be part of that conversation. Open enrollment is a great way to make that happen. Um, so those are so those are some of the things that I think of. Uh, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Texas, which has been such a part of the national conversation. Uh, what will happen with Texas, and particularly people are focused on private school choice potentially happening there. Texas has a lot of great uh, school choice options, but they also have far more students who want to attend public charter schools there than have been able to attend for years. And that's something I don't see talked about right now as much as I think it could be because uh, it's not just an interest that parents have in, in expanding one form of school choice there. I think Texas has has done some, but has kind of been uh, complacent for a few years now. And I think families want to see more options there. So you didn't mention Idaho. So our, our home state here, and we're pretty proud of a lot of the work that's been done over the last last decade. First of all, thank you for for sharing kind of a perspective on other, other states. But um, but yeah, we are we've, we've made a lot of progress over the last decade, much, you know, to do with the great work that that uh, that Terry Ryan and, and the Bloom team have, have done. I've just joined the team, so I take no credit. Um, Nor do I. Nor do <laughs> yeah, I. I'm Sarah also I, a recent member of yeah. the team. So we're we're uh, yeah we're 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 proud of the work that that our that our colleagues have done, but uh, take no credit for it. But it's been interesting to see what where Idaho is now as compared to where it's been over the last 10 years. And it's going to be exciting to see where, where we are in the next five to 10 years as well. So, cause there's a lot of momentum here as well. So some interesting things to learn. What's the uh, national perspective, if you have one for our state here in Idaho? I think Idaho is a strong state with a lot of options. I would say Idaho is above average in the options that it offers families. One of the things that I love talking about with Idaho is obviously pri- uh, public school choice public charter schools, such a robust part of um, the Idaho landscape. And I know when I was looking at uh, my notes before this interview, I'm pulling up the number again, but it, it, refresh my memory, it's more than 8% of Idaho students are enrolled in public charter schools, which is interesting. There's lots of these that have public charter schools, but they have, frankly, a really small number. Um, you'll see like between 5 and 15 in a lot of states, and that's not the case here. So there's there's always more to do, but you know you can have a certain type of school choice. But if there's only three of them and they're only in one urban area, that's not as practical as it could be for families. So I think that's fantastic about Idaho. Um, the way that, especially Western states, tend to approach open enrollment is really interesting. Um, it, obviously, it has to work differently because of just the sheer spread of rural areas. Um, just the feasibility of getting to another school is such a huge factor. Um, but the mix of both inter and intra district open enrollment here, I think it's strong um, and a smart way to go about it. So I think there's lots to be interested in, in Idaho. And um, I this has been a state that's been really a strong charter state for a long time um, and seems to be very committed to that being not just an option, but a very high performing option. Absolutely. 
So you mentioned the survey that you guys um, have, sounds like you do every January. Can you talk a little bit about that survey and what you've learned in, in, in that effort? Yeah, so we check in with parents every January before we <clears throat> have this whole week that's designed to help them. We think it's helpful to make sure that we know the questions they want answered. And so this year, a few things that I thought were particularly interesting coming out of that survey. We, the number one thing we ask year over year is how many of you have either considered, searched for, or actually chosen a new school in the last year? We also ask what parents are going to do, they think, in the next year. But of course, if you really want uh, a hard piece of information, you ask what someone's already done. And so 72% of parents said that they had at least considered enrolling their child in a new school in the last year. 44% of parents said they had made a decision about enrollment in the last year, but 72% considered it. And to me, that rings true. Uh, but of course, with some selection bias of who we talk to in the work that we were talking to parents who were choosing schools, it was interesting to hear that that was genuinely true of a uh, a more objective measure. And another thing that I think is really interesting, I'm always interested in how people are a part of school choice in ways that they aren't thinking of as particularly policy related. So one thing we asked is, does a child in your household attend a different type of school than the one that you did growing up? And the answer to that question is yes, for 59% of parents. Um, I don't think they would think they're doing anything particularly interesting by doing that, but so many people are choosing something different for their kids, a totally different type of school than the one that they grew up going to. And that, again, I think is indicative of this generation of parents. They are familiar with more options and they're very open-minded to choosing something different than what they experience themselves. Well, it's great. Yeah. It's kind of like you were what you were saying before. I mean, I think in your survey, you said 64% of parents wish they had more, even more information than they already have about education options for their children. And so this conversation that you're having throughout the week about, you know, what school choice is and the options that they can be provided for their children, it's, it's really great. It's good news and the wheels turning on all these thoughts. <laughs> am, am I allowed to ask y'all a question? Of course. Um, we so might I'm not curious. have the answer. But. <laughs> I'm curious for you guys, I, is public charter schooling something that you have been in, involved with or familiar with for a long time? Is it something that is new or old information to you? And do you remember how you first found out about what it meant? Yeah, so I, quite frankly, had no idea about the charter school system and school choice options. I went to you know a traditional district school growing up and I'm from California and um, I've just been learning about it as I go. And I think it's really important, right? I don't think every single kid fits in the traditional school model. And so offering all these options to kids that I was never aware of is fascinating, one, and two, really important for kids to learn, grow, and thrive. Yeah, for me, I grew up in rural Idaho um, and there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a choice. Um, and you know, after going through my education career, starting in teaching, I was actually started teaching in a traditional uh, rural school district as well, and then eventually got into actually private education. So um, my kids all went to private school just because that's where I was teaching, and and then later became an administrator. And and uh, you know, if we had to pay for the full tuition, they probably wouldn't be going there. But luckily, one of the benefits of of teaching and working in a private school is we were able to um, have our our children go to that school 
um, at a much less, you know, lower cost than it would otherwise. Um, so choice was important for us. Um, and we just, it just kind of worked in our, in our circumstance, but we also looked at, at the time when our, our, especially going into high school, looking at different choices, we did look into charters as, as another option as we were exploring. And, uh, those, those just didn't exist when we were younger. So similar to, you know, what you shared on your surveys, um, our, our, both my wife and I, you know, children went to different types of schools than, than we grew up in just more, more than anything, because there were other options. Yeah, that's so interesting. Thank you for being part of my long-term focus group where I ask everybody I talk to this question, because I, I like to know where people get their information. Um, but I think, I think that's really interesting and very true of lots of folks I talk to. It, all of this is like, you know, we think of it in terms of like, type of school. But for a lot of families, they're not categorizing things as strongly. They're thinking of individual schools and not like you're, you're not picking a category and then deciding between it. You're looking at four schools that you're kind of interested in, and they probably cross a lot of those lines. Um, and so I think it's helpful to start with that big funnel of category because you need to know things like, are they open to all students and how much is this going to cost me? But <laughs> ultimately, uh, it gets so much more personal than that, which is why hard to paint with a broad brush on who should go where. And I really think um, what you're doing in terms of awareness and knowledge building is really important as well. I mean, the, the, the more I learn, the more intrigued and, and excited I get for today's youth that get so many choices. We have some fantastic schools all across the Idaho public, private, charter, you know, all, all the above. And it's wonderful to see that there are so many options for kids today. Um, and I think the quality of, of charters, you know, especially around here, continue to grow and grow and get better. And, and it's really exciting to, to see that happen. It is. It's, I, I can't imagine, uh, I can't imagine the landscape of education, at, especially at this point, without public charter schools. They're such a, a huge part of what families choose. Um, the National Alliance for Public Charter School does a great job researching how all this is trending on a national level. And um, they put out some interesting information the last couple months of all public sector schools. Um, since the start of the pandemic, public charter schools are the ones that are growing in enrollment, I think, by 9%. Um, whereas a, a lot of district schools or even magnets are declining in popularity among parents. But they are still, public charter schools are still going strong and still an important part of what parents want to be able to choose. And I think they'll continue to be, at least I hope so. With the <laughs> advocacy work that you guys are doing, especially, it really helps. Well, thank you. Yeah, we 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 are happy to help. And it's important to me to, to make sure that we do talk about all options because that's the week is one of the few times that we, that, that actually happens. Um, and it, it we kind of try to create this like positive, safe space where everybody can be a fan of whatever it is they actually do take part in, but we can all be on the same team. And I think it's also important to, to kind of really zero in on it's, it's about choice. And for some parents, um, for, for their child, the traditional public school in their area might be the, the perfect choice for that child. Um, for others, maybe it's, maybe it is a charter school or maybe it is a, a, a private school, but having that choice, I think is the real, um, key in this and, and how important that is. And the more options that exist in different communities, I think the better for families to have, you know, had to have more than one school to choose from because all kids yeah. are different as we know. 
They really are. And you get nowhere with your uh, your everyday parent if you want to be critical or negative about a type of school that either they've chosen probably in the past or their friends work at or their family members attend. Uh, there's just no benefit to being overly negative about any one type of education. Parents, if we want to be able to reach them with the information about what any particular type of school offers, the way to start that conversation is with positivity and uh, trust in their decision making and not negativity about an institution of any type that um, they could very well have a, a very strong attachment to for good reason. Yeah, absolutely. And I think your personal story of you and your two siblings having, you know, different choices, even within the family, because it fits, you know, your, your interest or whatever it might be is, is, is different. So just because, you know, for one child that works this way, even within a family, it might be different. So that's great. Well, Shelby, anything else that you'd like to share or talk about before we close out today? I'd just say um, we love talking about all of this during National School Choice Week, which is always the last week of January. It's always a fun and hopefully easy time to start the process of choosing a school. But we do have information about how all of this works on a state-by-state -state level and uh, information about uh, what we recommend in going through something like a school search process on our website at schoolchoiceweek.com. And uh, we would love to hang out uh, the other 51 weeks of the year if you need additional information or if our team can help you through the process. Awesome. So after this week, you just take a long 51 week vacation and then come back in January. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, we're, what is his name? Punxsutawney Phil, uh, whatever the groundhog is. <laughs> um, nope. We, we, we're, we're around the rest of the year, but this is when we really, you know, throw the party. This is your Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, Shelby Doyle, thank you so much for joining us in this conversation and providing information about um, National School Choice Week and the effort that, that you're making on behalf of your organization. We appreciate the conversation and uh, good luck and enjoy the, the rest of the week. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us to explore education leadership, innovation, and impact here on Bloom Together. We encourage you to continue these dialogues in your communities, classrooms, and organizations. Be sure to visit bloom.org slash together where you can discover more episodes or click join the conversation if you'd like to be a guest. Until next time, keep learning, keep blooming, and keep making an impact one conversation at a time.